when the Advent reading of hope was read this morning, it talked about a period of waiting. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, uh, but when the New Testament starts, when the story of Joseph and Mary and Matthew, or when the story of Elizabeth and Zachariah and Luke begins, it's actually been 400 years since the last prophet walked among the people of God. 400 years. Waiting to hear from God for 400 years. Ezra and Nehemiah, Haggai and Zechariah, the walls had been rebuilt, the temple had been rebuilt, the people of Israel had resettled in Jerusalem. And after that, Malachi was the last prophet. 400 years of silence. No direct word from God through a prophet any leader. That's a, that's a long time. Some of you don't even know what 40 years of waiting is like. You're not even there. And then there's those of us, right? We have trouble with 40 minutes of waiting. And then there's some of us that have trouble with 40 seconds. And these stories in the beginning of Matthew and the beginning of Luke, there's just a handful of people that are actually paying attention. After 400 years, still be paying attention and see what God's doing. We want to look at the story of Mary this morning. And it's found in Luke chapter 1. And if you're Working with the Bible from the pew, it's page 944. We'll talk next week about Zachariah and Elizabeth and John. We're going to talk about Mary this morning. And we get the angelic announcement for Mary. And I'm going to read from uh, the Bibles that we have in our pews here. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, page 944. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Now this David aspect is pretty significant for Luke, it's pretty significant for the whole Bible. And it's pretty significant if we think about those 400 years of waiting. Because what ha I don't know what happens to you and your mind when you're waiting. But the longer you wait, let's say you're waiting at the doctor's office and you're waiting to hear the result of your test. The longer you wait, the more your head starts to do something. And so the children of Israel knew God had promised that there would be a king like David that would come and he would reign forever. If, if you know Handel's Messiah, not forever and ever and ever is talking about the king, like David, who is going to reign forever and ever. And what the Israelites knew about David is the same thing you and I know about David. The basic story we know about David is that David defeated the Philistines. David was the warrior king who had defeated not just Goliath, but he had defeated the Philistines. And he had set the children of God free from the oppression and the threat of the Philistines. And so if God's going to send a king like David, You've got 400 years to sort of mull over this promise, this prophecy. You're going to get this expanded picture 
And especially since the Philistines had been replaced by the Babylonians, the Babylonians were replaced by the Persians, the Persians were replaced by the Greeks, and now it was the Romans who were telling all the people of Israel, all the people of God, what to do, where to go, and when things needed to be done. So it's not surprising that in this 400 years, the people of God had an expectation that when the Messiah comes, when the, the king like David comes, he's going to get rid of the Romans and set his people free. Well, the, the David stuff is pretty significant. And almost everybody knows the story of David and Goliath, and he got a pretty good picture of what the children of Israel and the people of God were hoping for in this promise. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named jo Joseph, who was a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. I take that promise, that announcement, too, too lightly. The Lord is with you. I think there, there are two of the most common prayers we pray as, as Christians in any kind of prayer gathering. If one is safety, rightly so, and the other one is Lord be with. Well, I want to remind us that the whole promise of Christmas, the whole promise of Advent is that God is with us, right? And so for Mary, right from the get-go, greetings, you are highly favored, the Lord is with you. That should just kind of help her settle down. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words. It's been 400 years since any direct word from God. No one had heard directly from God. Here's Gabriel, the angel, with an announcement, with a message for Mary. Was greatly troubled and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Not surprising. Nothing <laughs> happened like this for a long, long time. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. See here? Here's the promise. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. After 700 years of oppression and foreign domination by Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, and Romans, that's got to sound like good news. Verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who was said to be unable to conceive is now in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. And then the angel so there's this background of the years of silence. Then there's this announcement. Then there's this whole response of Mary to what Gabriel has to say. And there's this affirmation that comes from Gabriel to Mary that she is chosen by God and the child that she is going to bear is truly the one who is to come. There's a revelation. There's a miracle that's going to happen. Beginning of Jesus' life at the end of Jesus' life. I had no idea what the Advent candle setup was going to be like 
here at SNYC. I think it's great that it's, here's, here's Advent, here's the cross. Right? The beginning of Jesus' life is a miracle. The end of Jesus' life on earth is a miracle. That God would die. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? Miracle that God would die. And the miracle that Jesus rose from the grave. Jesus' life begins with a miracle, and it ends with a miracle. As I thought about miracles, I thought about miracles have a way of disrupting people's lives. And I thought about the various stories throughout the Bible of the miracles of Jesus. You know, Jesus heals people that have been beggars all their life. Now all of a sudden they can see, and they don't need to sit beside the side of the road. Now they can see. They have no excuse for begging anymore. They're only trained. They're only schooled in begging. What are they going to do? How much does that miracle put them in a whole new experience of life? This miracle for Mary is going to put her in a whole new experience of life. Miracles have a way of disrupting lives. For Mary, she is now in this transition. We've talked about transition before here. That sort of no man's land, that sort of wilderness experience. You don't know sometimes if you're coming or going. Certainly Mary is in a transition period. Because of this miracle, she is going to be in a transition period. Mary was betrothed to Joseph, which probably means in that day and age she was probably 13 years of age. And according to the way it would work, she would be betrothed to Joseph. She'd be home for a year. About 12 months, she'd, she'd still be at home. And then after 12 months or so, her and Joseph would um, begin their married life together. So here's Mary, the teenager, who is going to be expecting, she's going to be pregnant before her and Joseph were officially married. That causes enough trouble in our society for people and angst for people and no man's land. Imagine what it was like in the first century. All the implications. Now that doesn't show up here, and we don't hear anything about that, but I think it's interesting to, to ponder, and, and what was that like for Mary? How did people look at her? How did people respond to her or avoid her in that situation? This miracle was going to, in some ways, really mess up her life. I think we can say our, our salvation is a miracle. We celebrate communion the first Sunday of every month to remind us of the great thing God has done in saving us and sending Jesus to die for us and in bringing us to him. There, there is a miracle aspect to our salvation, right? Ezekiel talks about God will take the heart of stone and replace it with the heart of flesh. That's a miracle. A heart that wants nothing to do with God all of a sudden wants everything to do with God. That's a miracle. Literally or spiritually, the blind see, the deaf can hear. That's a miracle. Our salvation, our deliverance from sin, our opportunity to have a, a full relationship with the one who gave us life and breath without any obstacles in between is truly a miracle. Is that miracle sort of disrupted our life at all? Or has it just been kind of life as normal we had Jesus in the middle? Seems to me miracles have a way of 
disrupting our life. And they need to disrupt their life. Certainly it was true for Mary. Verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. Now, we don't know the exact place. We don't know exactly where Elizabeth was at that point. Estimates are anywhere from 50 to 100 miles trip for Mary. So anywhere is upwards of a four-day trip. Did she make it alone? We don't know. It's a good journey. But she's so excited. She hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would his promises to her. There's a whole lot of energy in this little section. And I didn't mark up the church Bible, but in my Bible where I've got it marked up, there's there's a whole lot of action. Mary hurries, she gets ready, there's there's excitement, there's enthusiasm. When she gets there, the, the baby's leaping in Elizabeth's womb. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. Blessed, blessed, there's blessing, there's blessing, there's blessing. And then Elizabeth talks about the baby leaping for joy and another blessing. There's this, it's like, it's like, it's like watching Cindy and the kids preparing for the season. Like some of them were just all over the place. So they were just loving it and maybe a little bit for Cindy trying to control them, but somewhat chaotic. But this is kind of, as I read this paragraph, it's, it's kind of chaotic. Because everybody's excited. See, this is the part of Christmas that's the hard part for me. This is the joy part. I'm okay with the hope part. I get hope. I'm okay with the peace part. I like peace. I like things calm. I'm okay with the love part. I've been blessed to be loved by people. And I get the Christ part, obviously. I have a real hard time with the joy part. I'm just not an expressive person. I remember a couple of seasons back, a couple of Christmases back, it was my Sunday and it was Advent Sunday and it was joy. I just got to really work at joy. You know, when I do that, it just feels so artificial. It feels so lonely. Just so... Right? We can get excited about the acts or if you're a Leaf fan, you're on cloud nine now that Eland is flying. I mean, you're just sailing. My son is just crazy sailing to the Stanley Cup now. Now, I've been a Leaf fan since they last won in 67. So, you know, that's, what can I say? But, so, so we can enjoy those kinds, right? But I'm just not, I'm just not, I think I'm wired to be expressive. When it comes to joy, but it's, I'm just saying that because it's something I need to work on. Because this this whole paragraph, it's just it's just chaos. It's just the, Cindy. The next time the kids are just chaotic, think about Mary and Elizabeth and this whole chaotic scene and Elizabeth's baby going crazy. And it, it's okay. It's Christmas. 
Even Christmas morning when you're opening your presents and it's somewhat chaotic and you want to read the Christmas story at some point in the midst of all that chaos. It's okay. This is a chaotic moment, but it's a joyful moment because there's some pretty good news that's happening here. And these two ladies come together and it's like, it explodes. Joy. Pray for me that I can be expressive and joyful. Not something that comes naturally. Good news is worth sharing, and Mary and Elizabeth, we get that sense that good news is certainly worth sharing. But good news is also worth singing about. Verse 46. This is Mary's song. Good news is worth singing about. And so these two women have met and embraced and all this blessing back and forth. Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. There's that joy that's still echoing and resounding in her. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. First part of Mary's song is about her. It's about me. You can, you can see that pretty easily. My soul, my spirit will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. This is about music and my music that makes things intense in this life. Music I like, music you probably are playlists are all good. Mary magnifies the Lord by singing. Want to start a fight? Talk about music. You want to start a church fight? Talk about music. Right? Because we take it personally. I love the downbeat on the opening song, Gloria in Excelsis Deo. You might not have liked that downbeat. You might like it with an organ. What is it about music, right? It, we take it so personal. We make it so personal. We have our likes and we have our dislikes. First part of this song of Mary's is very personal. But it's going somewhere. It's personal to go somewhere. It's about her, but it's really not about her. Because after she says, verse 49, holy is his name, everything changes. It changes from what was about her to what was about us, from what was about me to what is about we. And it, it changes, it, it broadens immensely. Verse 49, holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. Not will, but has. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. See, Mary has said, His mercy extends to those who fear him. 
and her submission to God's will already in saying, with this whole plan that Gabriel announced to her, she submits, she surrenders to God's plan out of respect, out of reverence, out of fear, a healthy fear of God, which she has voiced in the words of, be it done to me according to your will. Not my will, but your will be done. Interesting, again, back to framing Jesus' life. Mary says, be it done to me according to your will. In the garden, Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. Frame. There's the shape. Submission, surrender, respect and reverence for God. Two women, Mary the teenager and Elizabeth the senior, who is well beyond the childbearing years. We have no idea how old she was. The teenager and the senior being asked to submit to an out-of-this-world request. that could set both of them up. It's a very difficult, awkward moment in their lives. Sets them up for all kinds of problems. How's our submission to God's request for us? What's our obedience that comes through faith? Do we, are we as readily able as Mary and Elizabeth to submit to the outlandish stuff that God asks us to do? The basic stuff that God asks us to do. Never mind the wild and crazy things like these two women are asking. Just the basic stuff. How are we doing in our submission to God's requests? The obedience that comes through faith. Part of communion, right, is to examine ourselves and ask ourselves that question. How is our obedience to the basic things? Never, never mind the, the wild and crazy things that God might ask some of us to do occasionally. Just the basics, the day-to-day -day stuff. How's our submission? How's our fear of God in all those things? Because they're going on a new journey. And verse 51 kind of reminds the readers, especially those who know the Old Testament, that the mighty deeds God had done back in Egypt, those mighty deeds when he set the people free from Pharaoh, goes back to the Exodus, goes back to the Passover, goes back to the reminder of the signs that God gave and the deliverance that God gave and setting the people of Israel free from the iron furnace of Egypt. And so it, it bronze to what God does for his people, his servant Israel, verse 54. And then at the end, not only has he helped his servant Israel, but it is, is remembered to be merciful to Abraham. That goes back to Genesis chapter 12, where God said to Abraham, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Global. Promise was global. Through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. This is that promise being fulfilled now in the nation of Israel. Not just for Israel. The Gentiles are included. It's a reminder that the whole background of our hope as followers of Jesus is that God keeps his word. God does what he says he will do. It just isn't always in our time. But the thing that struck me about Mary's song this time around that I'd never noticed before is how it starts with me, 
but it ends with we. It starts with her, but it ends with us. You know, there's an old saying, and Nolan's probably used it in his chaplain um, talk a little bit with the room. I don't know, but you know, we hear a lot, there's no I in team. How do you spell church? Do you spell church with an I? Or do you spell church with a U? Funny thing about the word church, if you do spell it with an I, it sounds the very same as if you spelled it with a U. There may be, may be no I in team, but you know what? There is in church. It is, it is both. It is both. How often do we sing songs that personalize it to I and me and my? But then else, other times we sing songs that talk about we and us and our. It's both. But how often does my spelling of church stop with the I and not get to the you? See, the whole thing with Mary's submission and surrender and fear of God had to do with her getting beyond the I and seeing you. How do you spell church? I said before that, you know, how are we doing in our submission to God and just the basics to the afterlife? How are we doing in our recognition and obedience to the things that God wants us to do? There's a verse in James that says, the one who knows the right thing to do but doesn't that one, it is good. And I think if you've been around church for 10, 15, 20 years, you have a pretty good job. Right from wrong. It's not just external, right? Very song talks about God knowing the innermost thoughts. We know, we know the basics, and we know where we mess up, and we know where we slip, and we know where we slip up, and we know what's dragging us in. I've been at this long enough. I don't think you need your leader to come along beside you and say, "Hey, how are you doing?" I think it's time to get to know And are we willing to say, not my will, but your will? Do I fear God enough when I know the right thing to do? And you know, I remember that I was I look back at it and I go, how can I actually? Basically, slap on the back. It's amazing 
how we can rationalize, how we can justify. You know, when it comes right down to it, Paul says to the Corinthians that every person examines himself. And then, not examine yourself and say, oh, I'm no good. I'm not worthy of the body and the blood of Jesus. That's the whole point. Not wait until I get my act together and then I'll observe you. No. As soon as I realize I am not worthy of the sacrifice and Jesus is absolutely worthy, then I'm on the way. Then I'm on the way. God makes a promise, he sticks to it. As Mary said, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and Abraham's descendants from that side. For followers of Jesus, we are sons and daughters of Abraham, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned. Christmas is a great time, I think, for communion. Um, I think because one of the reasons is I can use that $25 theological incarnation. And it fits. Right? Christmas is about the incarnation, about Jesus, about God becoming flesh, Jesus becoming human, flesh and blood, just like we, that's called the incarnation. Thing, I think, but Christmas is, is ideal time for communion. At just the right time, as the reading said, God sent forth his, his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us from the curse of the law. The first miracle is the birth of Jesus, the second miracle is the Invite the elders who are serving communion to come and join me at the front and worship team. Take their places on the platform. <laughs>